Hi everyone, welcome back to Stacking Growth. I'm Sydney Waterfall, host, joined by co-host Sam Keenly. And today we have a special guest. We're gonna be chatting with Grant Duncan, VP of Marketing at Zingtree. And recently you've joined Zingtree around five months ago. And the main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast besides your amazing LinkedIn content that I see all the time dropping knowledge bombs, um, but is to talk about your experience there and how you've successfully crafted and implemented a full demand strategy, which a lot of our listeners um, try to do at their company. So I thought it'd be a great topic to dig into with you. So excited to chat today about that. Thanks, Sydney and Sam. Great to be here. I also really enjoy following both of you. <laughs> yeah, we, we go back and forth on the comments and DMs a lot. So it's, it's fun to actually be on a podcast together. Yeah, um, exactly. All right. So first question, I just want to dig into what's kind of the current state and strategy of, of marketing when you started at Zingtree? Like, where'd you start when you came into the org? As you mentioned, I started five months ago at Zingtree as the VP of Marketing. But to give a little background about Zingtree, we're an interesting startup in that it was actually bootstrapped for about six years by a few people. And they got about 700 people to swipe their credit card, fully PLG. And it was only a couple years ago that they decided to take on venture capital and really try to grow this at a fast rate and switch to more of an assisted PLG motion where you also have sales and marketing in the mix. So fast forward to when I joined, at that point marketing was bringing in almost all of the pipeline and ARR revenue. They essentially didn't have an outbound or channel motion uh, in any play, largely because of that history of the company and what was working well. All of the paid media spend was on Google and Bing search for capturing the existing demand. And they were also at a place of just starting to build more of a foundation of content um, to improve the website for sales, demand gen, etc. And one of the things I noticed early on was they were starting to hit the limit on diminishing returns for paid search. So they couldn't just throw more money at it and get more results. They tried that and it didn't work. Um, And one other part of this as well that's important in thinking about where we were is the company was also looking to move up market more and that meant refining our ICP, thinking about new positioning and messaging. So it was a fun time to join. Definitely think there's two big things that I are unique to that comp- your experience, but also unique to people uh, trying to deploy and maybe pivot to a demand gen strategy, which is you're maxed out on your capture demand and you can't yeah. really, there's not enough movement there. And then also you're trying to go up market. Those are like two very common things that we hear across a bunch of different company types. Um, so it's interesting that those were kind of the two big indicators that you kind of walked into, into there. What does yeah. your, uh, what is your, like, what did your team look like when you, when you started? Just so the people can kind of get a sense of like, what did the marketing team 
look like? Yeah, so we're a Series A company. There were three full-time people and I think about um, something like four part-time freelancers or boutique agencies helping. Interesting. So when you got started, you said 100% of the pipeline was from marketing. Was there a strong brand affinity to Zingtree already or was it lower volume? Like, I mean, I know that's always the goal of every marketer is, you know, source all the pipeline and everything. So it's just curious, um, aside from if you're really only doing like Google where they were, they had the active need, was it truly they were finding you on Google when, when that need arose enough or did they just know who Zingtree was from other means? This has been something I've been trying to figure out over time because it's a really important question. My hypothesis so far is that because the company had been bootstrapped in PLG with a self-serve model, there's people who have used it years ago and now they come to a new company and they say, oh, I want to bring Zingtree into this. I enjoyed using it before. And so then they'll reach out to to get a demo or get a trial account set up. Um, so that is one part of it. And actually on my second day, I added the how did you hear about us as a required free text field on our forms. And that was able to show us. So I had this suspicion, right, that people were coming to us because they'd used it in the past. And... After about a month or two of data, I saw that 22% of our inbound leads, which are all high intent uh, leads, said they heard about us through a friend or colleague. You know, they were usually more descriptive than that. But um, if you boil it down, that was a very big amount. And I think a lot of that was people being told like, oh, yeah, I use this in the past. There was another, I think, about 5%, if I recall, that said they explicitly used it in a prior company and wanted to try it again. Yeah. So that was, that was part of it that um, was really part of our demand is just old users or recommendations. But also, your hunch is correct. We were overspending on Google, spending on unnecessary keywords. So after doing some analysis, was able to cut our paid search budget by 50% and have no impact on the paid search um, pipeline. It actually went up 10K from paid search after cutting. <laughs> I wish that we could just put this on like a loop of repeat so every marketer hears this. Like you can slash your paid search budget by 50% and you will be fine because most of it's garbage. So, um, oh my God, that's incredible. So why'd you move to a full demand gen strategy aside from day two, implementing the, the new field on the form? Like what was it that, that really gave you that motivation? There are a few bigger factors. One was that doing this initial analysis, I was seeing that we were hitting diminishing returns on paid search. And so what had gotten us to this point wasn't going to get us to the next level of VC growth that we wanted to get to as a company. Another is that I, I do buy in that the buying behavior has changed for people today. Refine Labs obviously talks a lot about this and I agree with it. But I mean, just think about the last time you saw an ad about some product 
that you'd never heard of. You filled out that LinkedIn or Facebook lead gen form, and then you bought a $25,000 piece of software. You probably can't think of any examples because that's not how it happens. <laughs> People need to be educated before they're ready to buy, especially that solution unaware to solution aware for startups and why you in particular. So I really believe in that philosophy and wanted to move us uh, to a demand on strategy that fits that. And ultimately, like we needed to try something new <laughs> if we wanted to hit our growth goals. Yeah, I mean, it's smart that you recognize that. It's like, we're at diminishing returns. What got us here isn't going to get us there. Like, we have to figure this out. Otherwise, you know, stagnation is death more or less. So, um, yeah, and, love and that. Thank Thankfully, the others at Zungshree as well were open to trying new strategies. So I didn't get a lot of pushback. I did have to do some internal education uh, about what is capturing demand mean? What is creating demand mean? Why is this happening? But what's really cool now is others in the company, like our CFO or CEO or uh, head of RevOps, they will use the terms creating demand and capturing <laughs> demand now. That's a win. And that wasn't, that wasn't yeah. in their vocabulary. Yeah, that's a huge win. Um, so, you know, you were probably in a good situation where you didn't have a lot of pushback, which like marketers dream, right? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> they always say work for, work for someone who gets marketing. Um, but w you did have to do internal education and probably still like advocate and educate for the strategy and prove things out and socialize that. So what did that process look like for you? And how did you kind of go about that internally? Hmm. I started to share some of these insights that we were seeing around paid search being capped out, overspending there, um, trying to share about the buyer experience and helping them connect how they personally interact with what we should do from a marketing perspective to actually tie to how that works. And I also shared, I think it was episode 281 of uh, the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I shared it individually with about six different leaders and then asked to ask them to listen to it and then chat about it. And having those conversations proved very valuable because it wasn't just me making up this language. They listened for 45 minutes to someone else put it in a framework uh, in a way that I could probably not articulate as well on the spot. So those were a couple of the big items. Um, it also just took time to uh, to plant the seeds and for it to become more of a, a main thought for them. I love it. I love that you knew the number of that episode. I was literally just scrolling through Spotify to find what was the name of that episode. And it was why B2B companies don't create demand. It was one of uh, one of Chris's keynotes, but... Yeah, we're not, he, we're not he talks also to say this just so everyone listens. <laughs> this is not a sponsored episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was a good one to share because um, I'd been thinking like, you know, if I'm going to share something, what's a good resource to do so? That episode is focused on 
almost talking to a CEO or CFO at like a series A, series B, maybe series C company. And what do they think about um, in the midst of how buying has changed? So it had a, a little bit more of a macro perspective. Yeah. And those are often some of the hardest conversations to have, like getting the CEO on board, getting the CFO on board. Um, even your board, you said that you're, you're a series A right now. So we, we call it the vulnerable period when you're kind of in that, in that flux between switching strategies from traditional to something that's more like demand So how were you presenting the early results and like why you were changing the strategy um, over, you know, whether it was the first quarter, a couple quarters to, to your leadership or the board? For the leadership, it was a lot of these conversations and then showing some early indicators. For our board meeting after the first quarter, I presented some slides about marketing and largely about these changes in our demand gen strategy. So for that presentation, uh, I can walk you through maybe an overview of some of the, the slides, uh, how I structured it. Yeah, Maybe someone else will uh, be able to copy some of this. So first, I wanted to ground them in who we believed our current ICP was and how we wanted to dig deeper to understand that more, as well as the expectations of this ICP. As we've talked about before, moving up market, adding sales into the mix more. That means that... um, their expectations are different than how we had previously been operating. So getting everyone on on the same page there was the first thing. Then I level set on what the current stages of our go-to-market programs were at that time and where we planned to get them in six months. It was a similar model to the revenue R&D stages that... Chris Walker has talked about, but I added in the now versus future part to that. Next slide was showing the past pipeline growth and the projections for next quarter, broken down by inbound, outbound, and channel. Thankfully, I think all of this went off better as well because we'd grown 54% quarter over quarter uh, in pipeline that quarter, basically my first three months there. Of course, I can't take all the credit for that, but I did try to make a number of changes with the team. And having better numbers always makes conversations go easier. (laughs) Um, Then the next slide was focused on how we were changing our demand gen strategy, breaking it down into capturing demand, creating demand, the unique points of view concepts we were planning to start to share, and then some buyer experience changes like packaging, lead flow. Um, and the the talk track went something like this for the slides explaining those. You know, in the past, SingTrees focused solely on capturing demand, the people who are already in market and searching online for what we have to offer. And we're trying to say, hey, come consider us too. And in analyzing this further, we're able to connect the data for the first time from ad conversion all the way through to closed one. When we then looked at the past 12 months of data and found many keywords never produced an opportunity or closed one. So we stopped spending on those, saving us about 50% of our paid search budget. 
With that money saved, we wanted to start creating demand. At a high level, we believe we have a demand creation gap, not a demand capture gap. There just aren't many people searching Google for what we do because we're sort of creating a new category. So we, by necessity, need to start creating demand and educating people to move them from solution unaware to solution aware. And, of course, positioning us as the best option for when that trigger event happens and they want to buy. So you can see I'm weaving in some of the things we talked about to show how this is how we need to get to the next stage. And I talked about how we're doing this primarily through paid and organic social. That's educational, optimized for distribution and reach, not like ebook downloads or website conversions, um, as well as some other ways we were looking to create demand. Uh, I talked through some of the thought leadership or POVs that were unique that we're planning to build out on. Um, and then the next slide was focused on showing these early indicators for creating demand. At this point, we were only, I want to say a month, maybe two months into actually starting create demand efforts. So it was early, but thankfully, um, we had positive signals early on. So on, on one side of the slide, I showed examples of our ads that were intended to catch someone's eye while they're scrolling so they could see what we're doing here. And then on the left side of the slide, um, I gave some of these specifics. So we've reached 30% of our current ICP on an average of seven times over the last month. And keep in mind, most of these people had probably never heard of Zingtree before. <laughs> so going from almost zero brand awareness to 30%. Um, in a month. And we already had a deal come in and get closed one for 43k at that point uh, with three more requests in progress um, that later turned into pipe and uh, closed one. So the fact that that happened, you know, within that month or two window, extremely fast sales cycle, that also uh, helped as well. And then there were some smaller indicators that I included like CTR, reactions, comments, and shares we've gotten, changes, like growth in direct traffic for high intent web pages. Uh, I was told our board really likes a lot of detail, so um, I included some of these, but in my talk track, I didn't necessarily speak to all of it. So that's kind of a quick summary of how I tried to explain to them why we needed to do this and how we've seen uh, positive signals and results already. I mean, you said, yeah, you said, you said quick summary. I was going to say the same thing. Like this is a masterclass. It's a quick masterclass on how to do this to your board, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> me, me and Sam said the exact same terminology. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know I have, Questions, things I'm curious about, but I've already asked a bunch of questions. Sydney, I know you probably have some I don't want to eat up all the time. No. Uh, one is I want, what was their reaction? Like, I mean, obviously this was like a, a well thought out, well articulated presentation. You put time, effort into it. You know, you had your talk track down. Um, you're always very prepared. So um, 
what was their reaction to this? And then did you get any questions or any like follow up things from from the board or your CEO after the presentation? Yeah, there were some questions during the meeting. Um, I think they were generally uh, supportive and positive about it. One was a suggestion to focus on the solution unaware to solution aware part rather than problem unaware to problem aware. Um, With the idea being it's a lot harder and more expensive to help people see they have a problem rather than addressing a pain that they have, but not realizing they could actually fix this pain. So that was one suggestion. Another was asking, like, how does this relate to the outbound strategy? And was able to speak to, like, essentially providing air cover over the same accounts that the outbound team would be focusing on um, so that we can hit them in multiple ways. Before the meeting, um, my CEO, Juan, was also asking like, okay, how many leads have we gotten from this? And, you know, what's the results? And being able to ground him in some of those early positive signals, like click-through rate, reach, was important. But frankly, having having one deal closed, one already, and some in leads and ops was probably the most helpful uh, part there. I love that. Of course, the nerd tactical side of me has has different things I'm curious. One thing that you said that really stuck out was um, you were talking about all of your, like the create demand levers. Um, Talk about paid organic and organic, or sorry, paid social and organic social. Um, Many companies I see think of like creating demand is strictly a function of paid spend. How many ads can we get running? But it sounds like you have intentionally done more than just the ads. I know we see you all over LinkedIn. I'm curious, like what are some of those other tactics that, as we said, you're five months in, like what else do you have in play aside from just like paid media spend? Yeah. Getting active on social, especially LinkedIn for our employees, as well as our company page is a part of that having the paid and organic, I think works nicely together. There are a couple popular customer support communities out there. We're essentially mostly targeting customer support teams. And one has about 3000 people. Another has about 10,000 people in it. So becoming active in those and, um, trying to be a normal member rather than just pitch slapping all the time, but answering questions um, giving advice, asking questions, etc. That's one. Um, another that we haven't started much, but plan to is to look at getting on podcasts uh, in the CX customer support arena. At this point, that's probably higher leverage for us than starting our own and building from scratch. Um, We are also planning to start a customer referral program. Technically, I think we'll accept referrals outside of our customers, but knowing that they're probably most likely to refer us. Um, And this is kind of like 
having them create demand on our behalf. And then if they, uh, if someone becomes interested, well then, and, and we uh, close the deal, then they'll get uh, a payment uh, from that as well. Um, so those are a few, you know, we plan to add more over time, uh, but a big focus is trying to knock down the ones that we have and improve those rather than getting stretched uh, too thin. Mm-hmm. I love that. Only a couple experiments in your framework at once before you move them to different phases and then say, okay, now we feel good about this. It's delivering. Now we can kind of try what's next on, on the roadmap. One, it, it is hard to do that, though. It's very yes. tempting to want to try <laughs> I mean, lots of different objects. <laughs> yeah, so how do, I mean, yeah, it, it is definitely hard. So how do you, as like a leader of the marketing team, kind of balance that? Do you have to self-regulate yourself and your team a little bit? Um, how do you kind of, I mean, I know you use OKRs because you've published them on your LinkedIn profile, but like, how else do you kind of regulate that with you and your team to set expectations? That's probably the biggest thing. Having our quarterly OKRs helps ground us in the main plan that we want to focus on. And then we have a running spreadsheet list for experiments that we want to do. These are both company-wide experiments um, and tests, as well as like marketing uh, experiments, some more strategic, some tactical. So that helps us balance the bigger main programs that are working more, along with knowing what are experiments that we could do or are currently in process. Part of the company-wide experiment uh, list is that we don't want too many disparate experiments happening because we want to keep the company focused so that we can have more effort to see iterate faster. Can this work or should we move on to something else? So those are a couple of things that help ground us. I would also say as a way to iterate or test some of these experiments, I'll do the first part a little bit myself to see what it would be like and if it could scale um, as a way to sometimes not add extra items on to already burdened uh, teams. I'm sure every marketer out there is like, can you come work at my company, please? (laughs) We're not going to call out names so they don't feel bad about putting their managers on the spot, but we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. So like an example of that is uh, I have this hypothesis that, Because we've been around for so many years in this bootstrapped manner, there are probably people that have used us in the past and now moved on to another company. Could we look at those past users and uh, do some manual lookups and then see what company they're at now and reach out to them to see if they would be interested in exploring bringing Zingtree into their current company? Zoom Info can do this if uh, they're in Salesforce already, but not all of our product users are in there. So this is an example where like, I'm just going to test this with, you know, X number of contacts myself. And then if we see there is promise, then bring others in to help scale it. 
You'll also let us know how that goes. I think that a lot of people could use something like that. I think there could be... I'm very interested to try it. There's two main ways that I'm looking to test this. One is looking at the uh, like deleted or deactivated users Hmm. because they probably were deactivated because they moved to another company and the admin uh, changed that. And then the second will be people who are considered current users, but their email is no longer valid. So Hmm. run it through like a zero bounce um, and see what comes back as invalid. I think those will be the two lists that we'll look at. Of course, a subset to try, but yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We'll have to have a part two once that's done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've kind of talked about some of the experiments, but um, one thing that also kind of fascinated me, which I, we, we hear this a lot with uh, just clients we work with or people we talk to and help advise with it's like you got you got a deal so quick like everyone's like well yeah the board's loving that you got a deal right away like this is amazing like if I had this result to show this would be great but I think one part is um kind of understanding like what is the foundational layer that got you there like you didn't just start running random ads and luck out and you got a deal come through, right? There was going to be some sort of foundation of clearly your targeting was right, your messaging was right, and your positioning was right in order to get that result that quickly. So, yeah, curious on what uh, that looks like for you. Um and then, you know, any advice that you'd have to other people around thinking around that part of your strategy before you actually launch um, this, this approach. Yeah, I think you hit on some items that are so key. You could have the best demand gen execution, have amazing design, have your um, website and buying flow dialed in. But if if what you're saying, like that story isn't compelling and differentiated, people are probably never going to actually want to go to your website to learn more. So I think that's a really important piece to think about as you were hitting on the the positioning there. I'd also say, though, you have to turn this into actual assets like web pages, uh, content, videos, and then, you know, turn it into... um, ads as well. And for a lot of companies, getting those foundational elements first will probably be the first stepping stone before they can um, do something impactful. For example, if you want to target a specific industry, well, it could be helpful to have a web page that is relevant for that specific industry. But if you don't have that before, you can't launch the ads yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I have one final question, um, and then we'll we'll pass the floor over to you. But um, always curious to hear, like, what's something you're working on? I know you said you've got that list of experiments that you're you're going through. Like, what's something that you're working on that you're genuinely excited about? As you could tell, I'm I am excited about that experiment, but a different one is creating a a newsing tree narrative and point of view 
it's kind of going to be like a manifesto, like Play Bigger talks about. But the main idea is to be able to connect with our ICP um, in a more meaningful way, like articulate their pain points, tie it to a larger narrative, show how vendors are trying to solve this issue and then how we are solving it. Um, Essentially, you know, they're doing a, a good job in some ways, but there's these gaps in other ways. Here's how we fit in. Um, and last week I wrote the first draft in a couple of hours, but I think it'll probably be another 10, 20 hours of feedback and revisions with people to get it to that level that we really want it to be. Um, so I'm very excited to get this out though, because I think it'll really help up level our message and connect us with the buyers in a more meaningful way. I'm excited to see it. <laughs> yeah. That's not a small experiment. That's, yeah, that's, that's a big, <laughs> something to be excited about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I wrote like 2000 words in like two hours and now it's like, okay, how do we refine this and how do we get it to the level um, that we want it to be or add in new concepts, remove others. But I've been brewing on this for a while. Yeah. Well, I love, though, that you're focusing on that. Um, I mean, so many organizations really don't have a good narrative, a strong point of view. Like, they have a blue background. They blend in with the rest of everything else in their category. <laughs> so, like, this is such a good way to, to really stick out to your prospects, like you say. So that's awesome. That's awesome. That's going to be fun. Yeah, that is the hope. So Cool. Well, um, what, uh, like, is there any questions that like Sydney and I can, can help you with? Is there anything that, that you'd be curious to ask, ask either of us just, um, with what we see across clients or the industry as a whole? Oh man, so many, um, <laughs> <laughs> one to start with would be, I'm curious at what point should we try something beyond single image ads in our create demand uh, focus there. We're planning to expand outside of that soon, but curious if you have any best practices for what to do next and when for others listening. Sydney, any thoughts? I know I've got some, but I'll let you start first if you do. Yeah, we'll see if our POVs align here. <laughs> we yeah. might have different answers, um, which is always healthy. Um, so, you know, single image is, you know, the main placements, the number one placement. It's, you know, especially if you've got the vertical size for mobile placement in there as well, you're going to get the most out of that. I think um, after you've launched and you feel comfortable that your targeting is right and your campaigns are set up correctly with single image, like I would kind of naturally start going into new um, ad formats because I look at ad um, formats or and placements like some of a whole. Like you've got four to five placements maybe. Let's just talk LinkedIn. You've got, you know, single image. You've got carousel. You've got document now. You've got video. Those are the four core placements. So those are four placement opportunities that you have to bid on that inventory and then get that ad placement to show to your user. Um, so, you know, obviously you can't like resource wise do probably four at the same time every time when you launch. But I would kind of start 
once you feel comfortable, it seems like you've already generated results, you're confident in your like messaging and targeting, then I would go into probably video, uh, video next, and then document ads and carousel. Document and carousel are pretty close. Obviously, carousel is going to be probably easy to kind of spin up off of your creative that you already have. But what we see across the board is like video just is the the placement where you see the highest engagement and consumption. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're still testing document ads and we're kind of learning and they, they've just launched and they've been in beta for a little bit. But also, um, so that's probably not like a best practice, but I would say like if after a month or so or after a period where you feel like you have it dialed in, like start with adding placements. We're on the same page, Sydney. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. Nice. No, my uh, my next recommendation, like you, is is video. Um, what I've seen work really well um, is using it as like once your your static ads have been running for a while, once people have familiarity with you, so you can either do it as a retargeting campaign or. If you've been running cold targeted ads for you know three four months, you have a, a good ICP size, couple hundred thousand or something. You, you're pretty well sure that they've at least seen your ads. They're familiar with you. So um, the reasoning behind this is one: people consume content differently. Some people like written format. Some people like audio format. Some people like video format. So video is another way to just reach more people in a, in a way that they want to. But um, the other thing that that um, it works well on is when you think about what it allows you to do. So these people are familiar with your brand. And so what I like to do is like in the retargeting version is instead of just talking about a problem in feed, like, you know, here's the problem, as you said, you're another um, problem aware solution unaware. So you call it out right in the beginning. And I say like, I love loom style videos. Like the overproduced video ads that look like television commercials, I'm at the point where I've told people, like, if it looks like an ad, if it smells like an ad, it's an ad. And most people are just <laughs> going to see it and be like, eh, like, I don't want to be sold to. Um, so we've run Loom-style ads with clients that have done very well, 60 to 120 seconds. Um, and what you do is you put the user in the, like, end user seat of what it's like to use the product. So instead of starting up the video for five seconds with your logo, it doesn't say anything in the first three seconds that everyone skips through, like, and you've lost them. First two seconds be like, here's the problem, here's how you fix it. Right off the bat, you catch their attention and then do it in your product. Let them see what it's like. It's a mini demo in essence. So those have those have done really well. Um, I always say like, you don't need to overproduce it. Don't overthink it. Sometimes simpler is better. Think about how you want to consume at the end of the day. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on video. Just make sure you don't get caught into the trap of like measuring it off of click-through rate because again, purpose of video is to be watched, not clicked. So... <laughs> Look at view rates um, and, and that mechanism. I've I've had leaders say, turn off that campaign, click the rates log. <laughs> You're right, it is low, but it's not meant to be clicked on. So we'll go look at the view rates and that's actually much more effective at delivering the, the medium. So um, yeah, long-winded way of saying, Sydney, I agree. Nice. Um, also for video, like I compare um, cost per view of like over 50% of the video versus like a cost per click. And you will quickly see the, a way to like articulate to like someone who's maybe doubting it or saying like, oh, let's push more budget into here. You're like our cost per 50% view on this is X and it's four times the cost to get a, a click to the website. So 
we're going to keep investing here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And if they're watching 50% of a video like Sam's talking about, that means they're seeing 30 to 60 seconds of a demo and how you're addressing a real problem. So, yeah. uh, you know, salespeople would love to be able to get that much time <laughs> in front of thousands of people. Yeah. Well, they're already in our inboxes. Hope you don't mind my professional persistence. 10 DMs later. <laughs> Did you get some good ones today, Sam? It feels like you got some, got some bad Yes. Anyways, any other questions, Grant, that you have for us? Uh, that's a great one. We'll have to add uh, some videos to our queue based on that. Thanks. Uh, curious, what kind of either ad uh, payback period or just like CAC payback period in general, do you recommend going to, um, let's say, the CEO or CFO and ask to test putting more money on what you're doing to see if you can improve the results there? Um David Kellogg with Kellblog had a great blog post about this recently, basically showing that it depends a lot. Like he says, some people say six, others 12, others 18, but curious what you're recommending and seeing people uh, get buy-in with. Yeah. Um, it definitely depends on how you're looking at like that, that payback period. If you're doing just based on ad spend, if you're doing your marketing department, if you're doing it all up, if you have overhead gross margin, like those are different things that you'll want to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, with most of our clients, we usually keep it pretty simple and just stay at the ad CAC level. If they want us to include marketing costs, we will too, because that's more common, but, um, usually say healthy payback period, um, nine to 12 months or so. Cause when you think about most contracts, they usually are about one year. So you want to make sure that you're recouping any spend to, to acquire them. And then after that, it's pure revenue. But if you're looking at ad CAC payback and you're, I mean, you have a, it sounds like your ACV might be around $40,000 or so. Um, you know, if you're looking at a three month payback period, I'd say you're leaving money on the table. Um, I would try to get that to six months, seven months, eight months, somewhere in there. Um, you know, it's, of course, it's not as efficient as three months. It's like, yeah, but you're also not bringing in as many potential customers as you could be. I mean, you, you spoke about the point of diminishing returns earlier. You get that. I think your board gets it. So it's like, what's the balance of where are we efficient versus where are we not being aggressive enough and in, in being able to achieve some goals? Yeah, it makes sense. And just to clarify, were you uh, saying those ranges of months for ad payback period or uh, CAC payback? Yeah. So the, I was looking more at like the ad CAC on that okay. one. Um, but if you do go, I mean, if you're, if you're higher ACV, I mean, that's still going to hold roughly the same numbers. Um, it's when you start getting into the really low ACVs that it gets tricky. So yeah. I don't think you have too much of, of that problem. It also depends too, um, of like how we typically like personalize this advice towards the company is like, well, what is your, CFO's expectation and your CEO's expectation and, and of overall CAC or department CAC. Like if you kind of know what they're comfortable with, like, hey, we're in growth mode, so we're actually comfortable with this range, then from your ad CAC, obviously you reduce that because ad CAC is, you know, more, um, you're going to add more stuff into your total CAC or marketing CAC calculation. But um so you can kind of get that sense like from them, what is their comfortable, acceptable CAC and then just back in add CAC to that as a percentage of overall spend versus like your total marketing budget. Uh, and you can kind of back 
back into that. But yeah, if if you're under six months and your priority is a as a business is growth and not like net revenue or net um, you know you know expansion revenue or you know if your main priority is is net new acquisition as a as a um, your main OKR as a business you need to go like you need some more uh, money there um, to 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 push into I would say though don't scale it all at once. Um, slow it, uh, like, you know, don't do it in one month. I would say if you're getting a large increase or a decent size increase, like scale into it. And um, that's a big miss that we will see people invest like one month or one thing. And then they're, you know, wondering what's going on. It's like, it's better to slowly ramp up that. And that's going to also make it a little bit more efficient for you and not make on the chart like your ad cac look like it skyrocketed one quarter or one month and then it leveled back out, right? So um, that would be a recommendation as well. Yeah, great advice. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Another question I'm curious about. So we're currently running around 15 to 25 single image ads to our target audience um, per month optimized for distribution and reach around like a seven to 11 frequency in total. Um, and doing this on LinkedIn and Facebook slash Instagram, what do you like to shoot for in terms of frequency and number of ads running in any given month? Love this question. Um, so there's a couple different, there's three layers to frequency that I think teams should look at. Logo frequency, so is that 7-Eleven, like, total, like, total times that they've seen your logo? Um, And then when we look at logo frequency, you know, typically on LinkedIn, 7 to 9 is a a rough estimate we like to say around, and 7 to 11 is Facebook. We'll go a little bit higher on Facebook just because of the cost and the scalability of Facebook. Um, in, in, in formats as well. Again, caveat always depends on the situation, right? <laughs> you say one thing and people like ridicule you for like, that doesn't apply to this one situation. <laughs> um, so I always got to put that caveat in there. Um, theme frequency, I think is honestly theme and uh, frequency is like the main frequency I like to look at is of those total, you know, 15 to 20 uh, images you're running, like, are they two th- themes, but they have multiple images and different creatives or me- messaging around them? Or how many themes are you running to the audience? Um, and maybe you have two core audiences and you've got a couple themes running to each, or you've got one core audience and a couple of themes running to each. And I think that's what I like to look at the most of like, also, how do you know an ad is working at the ad level? It's like, you know, we're not doing A-B testing statistical significance here, but at the theme level, what is that theme frequency? And then which theme is resonating more with the other will give you like some more insights, I think. Um, So for the theme, three to five on LinkedIn and then four to seven in a 30-day window. You can look longer than 30 days too. I just think that's the default if you've got campaigns that haven't hit your frequency yet, you know, and they've been running for 45 days, look at a 45 day window. Um, 
And then the ad frequency, one to three, one to five on, on Facebook um, for the actual ad unit individual time that they've seen it. That's kind of general recommendations there. <laughs> Love that. It's very specific and actionable. So thank you. Awesome. So we're planning to launch ads to the contact list that Outbound is going after soon. Most of these people should already be covered by our existing audiences that we're advertising to because we're aligned on as a company on the ICP and titles and such. But some might slip through the cracks if the outbound people are listed as different or unique titles that maybe aren't getting picked up. Um, do you agree with this approach to add these outbound contacts to your create demand? campaigns yeah um as long as it's not pulling from like something that's working well and you're spreading yourself too thin like you mentioned before um i think there is a, a lot of benefit to doing something like this so one is um it completely changes the dynamic of the conversation when sales finally does talk to them because if they keep seeing the ads over and over, not over and over in a bad way, but like they're familiar with Zingtree. Who are you? What you do? So it's not like your grant from, from what company again? What do you do? Versus like, oh yeah, I saw like Grant's post on LinkedIn the other day. I saw this ad talking about this. Like, cool, like great time. We were just talking about this in our company. So it helps them with conversations just by showing up more, being top of mind. Um, and then another thing I like in LinkedIn is if you set this up as its own like contact list audience, you can get a lot more insight that the sales team can also use where maybe they haven't reached out quite yet, but you can see like what accounts are spiking, what are the job titles, who are the people that are engaging more highly. So you can use this to help them have better outreach, just be more informed. If you have, you know, a thousand people on a list, you can be like, Oh, if I only have time to call 40 of these today, like which 40 should I prioritize? It, right. it really helps them with that as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say overall there's, there's no harm in something like that at all. And it's even something that we're, we're starting up an experiment with is like, if you do it past the outbound reach, but say that they're already in pipeline, what if we start marketing additional contact lists of people who are in like that buying committee that aren't our ICP, mm. but like the CTO, it's definitely going to be involved in implementation or other people. It's like, it helps if they know who you are and what you do and they have that affinity. So it's not like, great, who's this other tech company that you want us to sign a check for to like, okay, like I've seen what they do. That makes sense. Um, it's so cost effective to be honest, like relative to the upside that you can get where I think it's absolutely worth it. Cause these are small lists. Like, you know, it's not going to be a hundred thousand people. It's going to be a couple thousand. So you're, you're talking about spending a thousand dollars a month on this for substantially better conversion rates to opportunity or win. So I say go for it. I think you, you, it should work for you. Yeah. Super cool. Well, thank you, Sam and Sydney. Great talking to you today. Yeah. I love it. Um, excited to kind of root you on from the sidelines. You've already done like so much great work. We're excited to get an update, um, on some of the experiments you're running. And then, um, if you, if listeners want to follow you and kind of follow on your journey and your tips, uh, where do they, where do they connect with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, Grant Duncan. Um, maybe add in Zingtree and that'll help with the search results. <laughs> Love it. Uh, highly suggest to go follow him. So thanks so much, everyone. And it was a great episode. We'll see you soon.